When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome back to Explorers Guild. In this episode, we're going to be talking about World of Warcraft's playable faction, The Horde, and give a little insight into their motivations, some of the main leaders and events, and their current state. As always, things may be simplified for the sake of storytelling, but I've tried to be as accurate as I can according to my research. I'm also not a lore master. All of this information is easily and readily available online. I'm just putting it together in an easy listening bite-sized package. So let's begin. The Horde is the counterpart to the Alliance in the game World of Warcraft and is a faction formed of often lost and persecuted races allied through convenience as they seek to survive on a planet that is hostile to them. Not only are the Horde looking to fend off the forces of the Alliance, they've also had their share of internal political divides as they struggle to define their motivations and tear themselves away from dark forces that seek to manipulate their very being. If you've watched my basic introduction into World of Warcraft, you'll be aware of the dark forces operating within the universe, seeking to destroy the planet of Azeroth. Azeroth contains a powerful world soul at its core, giving life to the planet, and was protected by humongous titans while they waited for the world soul to mature and turn into a titan itself. The darkness incarnate Void Lords seek to corrupt the world soul and slowly turn it into a dark titan to defeat the other titans and allow the Void to reign supreme by using monstrous old gods on the planet's surface to weaken the world soul enough for corruption to seep in. One of the great titans, Sargeras, realised the Void Lord's intentions and wanted to destroy all other world souls to prevent the possibility of them even possibly becoming corrupted. The other titans disagreed, looking to protect the souls instead and fight off the corruption with their own tactics. Sargeras, enraged, fell away from the other titans and sought out his own methods of dealing with the issue by raising an army. He came upon a prison world filled to the brim with demons and dark fell energy and destroyed the prison's bonds, releasing the demons within. The explosion of fell energy that followed warped Sargeras' very being, turning him into a fearsome instrument of hate, commanding the armies of the Burning Legion. The explosion caused a wound between the nether and the physical universe, which is a great emerald space mist bearing proof of his deed. Sargeras would then go on to defeat the other titans and realised his demonic armies needed more guidance than he alone could give. He was busy making millennia-long plans, you see. He fell upon the planet of Argus, home to the race of the Eridar, the ancient forefathers of what we now know today as the Drenai. Sargeras appeared to the three leaders of Argus, elegant and majestic in form, and offered them untold riches of power and opportunity in exchange for their binding allegiance to his cause. And so Sargeras's two right-hand demon lords were born, Kil'jaeden and Archimonde, 
and they and their people infused with a demonic fell energy that fills Sargeras himself, transforming them, quashing any reason and compassion they once held in their hearts. The third leader of Argus, Velen, rejected Sargeras's offer and fled with all of the followers he could muster, becoming the first of the Drenai and a firm friend of the Alliance. Sargeras had his burning legion army and he had his two commanders, with Kil'jaeden ordered to seek the darkest, evilest beings in the universe and convince them, through whatever means, to join the crusade. The army, headed up by Sargeras and Archimonde, travelled across the stars, destroying an untold number of planets, before finally sensing the great power of the planet Azeroth he'd once heard the Titans talking about. Azara, queen of the highborn elves on Azeroth, and her elves used their magical abilities with great abandon, harnessing the power of the Well of Eternity for their own. Sargeras presented himself to Azara as a god, and Azara and her people readily accepted this reality, allowing him access to this world. The Burning Legion began swarming into Azeroth, using the well as a portal, with Azara providing the increasing power that would eventually allow Sargeras in too. But before the peak arrived, the nearby Night Elves attacked in an incredible battle that resulted in the Well of Eternity imploding, and the great shattering of the continent of Old Kalimdor into what we see today. Azara, her people shattered and drowning, would go on to forge her own path. Sargeras' plans had been thwarted, but he was not readily dissuaded from a second attempt. But he had two major problems. One was the Night Elves, and inevitably other locals of Azeroth now knew of his existence and intentions. So the next time he invaded, it would need to surprise their locals. And two, the biggest source of power on Azeroth had now been destroyed, which meant the chances of his true being entering Azeroth were now incredibly slim. So, a scepter was created by the Ex-Eridar that would create rifts between worlds for small periods of time, meaning a lesser avatar of Sargeras could pass through onto Azeroth to continue his work. It took around 9,000 years after the initial catastrophe with the Well of Eternity for this plan to come to fruition. Sargeras appeared alongside a few of his demons to attack dragons on Azeroth, knowing that a great protector would be forced to deal with this threat. And so Magna Aegwin fought to defeat this avatar and succeeded. But that had been the plan all along. And unknown to Aegwin, a piece of Sargeras' soul entered her body, where it would lay dormant for many centuries. The supposed corpse of Sargeras and his artifacts were buried in Suramar in a place known as the Tomb of Sargeras, and they still held considerable power. But over time, that piece of soul whispered to Aegwin twisting her thoughts, amplifying her fears, sowing the seeds of discord. And eventually, Aegwin fell in love and decided to bear a child, who was whispered to from the womb before he was even born. This child was Medivh. As Medivh grew, his insistence to stop the Burning Legion grew with him. So far, so good. He made plans to stop the progress of the Burning Legion on Azeroth by striking a personal blow to the Legion and using their old armies against them. But this was actually, again, the plan all along for the Demon Titan, and it would set into motion the faction war that would dominate Azeroth for years to come. 
So far, this has all the necessary backstory to understand the influence of the demonic fell energy and goals and history of the world of Azeroth, all of which is very important when we look into the history of the Horde and their complicated origins and motivations. What we now know as the Horde is not actually what was historically the Horde despite appearance, so we're going to look at the old Horde and how they became the new Horde. Let's look back at Sigaris's right-hand demon lord, Kill Jaden. This demon lord was furious with his ex-best friend, Velen, who had rejected the gift Sigaris had offered and took it very personally when Velen and his people fled. Kill Jaden followed them to the planets of Drenor, where the newly named Draenei were trying to rebuild in peace, and he devised a plan for vengeance. He approached a crippled and deformed orc on the planet, a victim of constant mockery and abuse that had turned him into a ruthless, power-hungry warlock who seeked only personal gain. Kill Jaden began whispering to this warlock named Gul'dan, and Gul'dan readily accepted the demonic offering of fell energy, returning to his home to destroy those who had mocked him. He then searched for a new clan who would accept him while he built his plans for Kil'jaeden's vision. This involved inciting war, conflict, and disease that would spread across Drenor, destabilizing the relatively peaceful planet. Finding the Shadowmoon clan, Gul'dan managed to befriend the chieftain, the orcish shaman Ner'zhul. He instigated a civil war between the orcs and Draenei living peacefully side by side on the planet, and his master Kil'jaeden pretended to be the dead lifemate of Ner'zhul, which is pretty damn despicable. He convinced Ner'zhul they had to attack the Draenei to save themselves while appearing as the lifemate, and the shaman drank it all up before realizing after the fighting had begun that he had been deceived. He decided to end the bloodshed, but not before his apprentice reported this defection to kill Jaden. Gul'dan had used Ner'zhul, who would largely be kept to the sideline for many years, and began to focus his attention on developing his Shadow Council inside the Orcish clan that had become incredibly bloodthirsty throughout the conflict. They taught necromancy and demonology, and eventually these followers imbibed the blood of a truly evil being, cementing the demonic deal and causing the orcs who followed them to have a green tint to their skin and become truly evil, part demons who waged a war of extinction upon any Draenei they could find left on Drenor. This green skin tint would eventually affect all the orcs who were on Drenor to start with. The Orcish Horde soon became bored with their lack of enemies to kill, turning on each other. They needed a new goal. It wasn't long before part two of the plan was set into motion. The possessed Azerotian sorcerer Medivh contacted Gul'dan, offering him great power. The power locked away in the tomb of Sargeras on Azeroth. How could Gul'dan resist? It was a simple request Gul'dan merely had to create and open a dark portal between the two worlds and bring his army through, and the power would be his. Nearly all the Orcish clans were assembled before the dark portal. The captured Draenei drained of their life force and used to open the gate, and the Orcs flooded through straight into Azeroth. The unsuspecting locals had no idea how to deal with this threat, and the Horde found easy victories conquering the kingdom. When the Alliance found Medivh and struck him down, Gul'dan was deep inside Medivh's mind, trying to find the location for the tomb of Sargeras and all that lovely power he'd been promised. The abrupt ending to Medivh's life forced Gul'dan into a deep, deep coma, and a power grab within the Horde began. 
One orc, Orgrim Doomhammer, was uneasy with the fell energy and the events that had transpired since Gul'dan's inception within the clans. He challenged Blackhand, the war chief that Gul'dan had appointed, to a duel to the death. A challenge that no orc could rightly refuse because respect and honour were two of the main forces binding the orcs. Orgrim would go on to crush Blackhand's skull with his infamous family weapon, the Doomhammer, pleased that he had killed this traitor who led the Horde into battle with awful dark forces. He wanted to cleanse the Horde of these vile powers that influenced their every action and intensified their anger, and so he outlawed the usage of fell magic. While he was not happy with the details that had led up to their assault on Azeroth and specifically Stormwind, Orgrim knew he could not just let matters be. On a strange planet with no hope of return, to show strength was the only way to survive. So they began their second assault on Stormwind. Gul'dan's assassin, which it goes without saying was not acting upon her own volition, had already taken out the king, and conquering Stormwind was a relatively trivial matter with their leadership dead. It was the overarching knowledge that the citizens of Azeroth would not just let the Horde rest that kept the new Horde warchief, Orgrim Doomhammer, on the attack. And once Stormwind had fallen, his attention turned to the traitorous Shadow Council, Doomhammer wiping them out in their entirety, all except for one ogre named Cho'Gal, once apprentice to Gul'dan and chieftain of one of the most significant orcish clans, Twilight Hammer. His position as leader was potent. Twilight's Hammer were no ordinary orcish clan. Before even Gul'dan's involvement, this clan was knee-deep in worship of the Void. And we know where that path leads. When this clan reached Azeroth, they could feel the old gods beneath the surface whispering to them. And they'd go on to carry out the deeds of the Void on the surface of the planet, but for now, their goals aligned with the Hordes and they worked together, so Cho'Gal was spared. So the Horde who had come via the Dark Portal from Drenor to Azeroth were diminished in number, yet victorious. With a new Warchief and the Orc Warlock who had persuaded them to invade laying in a coma, mistrusted due to his reliance on tainted demonic fell energy. This Horde knew that the human kingdoms would never forget or forgive their actions, but they weren't up to mounting an offensive upon the Alliance survivors, never mind an attack on the stronger human kingdoms, so they set out to recruit races to their cause. Races like the Amani Trolls, who felt mistreated by the humans and pledged their help so long as the Horde offered them aid, and eventually they offered their full-time commitment to the Horde's cause. Meanwhile, Gul'dan awoke from his coma to the light of a new dawn and realised he was no longer in charge. He persuaded Doomhammer that he could help the Horde by creating a necessary and very strong army to supplement their ranks. Gul'dan created the Storm Reavers, with Death Knights forged from the corpses of fallen Knights of Stormwind, infused with the essence of his fallen Shadow Council, wielding necromancy and elemental spells. These would be the predecessors to the Death Knights we know today, but rougher, less warriors and more necromancers with terrifying amounts of power. This did not please Doomhammer, but he saw it as a necessity. If they had any hope of conquering the Eastern Kingdoms, they would need a bolstered army. These armies took to Kazmadan, home of the Dwarves of Ironforged, laying siege to the stronghold and conquering the nearby lands. While the Dwarves managed to defend their stronghold, the Horde managed to take over the surrounding lands enough to farm their resources and create new, fresh weapons for themselves. 
And the horde marched on, coming across goblins on their travels, goblins who sought to make a profit in whatever way possible, and orcs who had gold pilfered from the Stormwind's reserves, and work the goblins could do to earn it. Orcs, trolls, and goblins came together in a bid to conquest the Eastern Kingdoms. The humans had all fled north to the Kingdom of Lordaeron, and that is where the Horde wanted to go. When the time came, the battle for the capital of Lordaeron was brutal, and at a critical moment, Gul'dan committed the ultimate betrayal, abandoning the Horde's fight, sailing south with the Twilight Hammer clan and his own Storm Reavers on his own mission that none could dissuade him from. Because Gul'dan may have been playing nice and laying in wait, but really, he wanted what he'd come to Azeroth for all along. Power. Ever since his first contact with Medivh, Gul'dan had been obsessed with finding out where the tomb of Sargeras was, and while rummaging around in Medivh's mind just before he fell into that coma, he found out. And this was his time to take action. Thankfully, not everything went to plan, but when Gul'dan entered the tomb alongside his armies, practically salivating at the thought of all that lovely ancient power resting inside, he was met by a swarm of raging demons who'd been attracted to the sheer dark energy Sargeras' remains exuded. Gul'dan was torn apart brutally. In his last moments, he realized he'd been but a pawn in the great plan set out by the Titan Sargeras, but it was too late, and he perished. Well, nearly. The Gul'dan as we know it was torn to shreds and verified as dead, his skull later used both to cause chaos and to fix chaos. And without going into any detail, some assistance from a parallel universe would mean the return of Gul'dan, but in a slightly different capacity. Kill Jaden was pretty damn mad with Gul'dan, for Kill Jaden wanted the Horde to take over Azeroth and remove any resistance presumably to make it easier for the demons to do their job, and Gul'dan's selfish obsession with power had all but ruined those plans. Orgrim was also quite furious. The Horde were forced to pull back from their attack on Lordaeron and hole up in Blackrock Spire, where the final battle of the Second War would commence. This would be the battle where Alliance hero Andrin Lothar would perish directly at the hands of Doomhammer himself, and instead of weakening the Alliance and force them to retreat, as they suspected it would, it led them to fight back even harder, shattering the Horde forces at Blackrock and taking Doomhammer as prisoner. This was the end of the old Horde who had invaded Azeroth. Orgrim would go on to escape his imprisonment and ended up, again, in one of the many Orcish internment camps that were set up by the Alliance after the war to hold Orcish prisoners. And what Orgrim saw in this camp saddened him. His once fierce warriors downtrodden, with no fighting spirit, just existing. And before the Malays could take hold of him too, he managed to flee once again, becoming a hermit in the north of the Eastern Kingdoms. He maintained this lonely life for quite some time, until he was contacted by an orc clan who'd peeled away from the original armies, and they had an interesting ward staying with them. It was here Orgrim met a pretty central member of the new horde's future legacy, Thrall. Let's loop back a little bit. The orcs from Drenor and those still on Drenor all belonged to clans. These clans were their families, and these clans were where they fought for honour and found their place in the world. Each clan had their own moral views and opinions on this invasion of Azeroth, and not all of them agreed. 
One such clan was the Frostwolf clan, headed by Chieftain Duratan, who, alongside valuing family and community, looked to live in harmony with the land. When the Old Horde formed and Gul'dan convinced the chieftains to drink the blood of the truly evil being, Manoroth, that tainted the other orcs with demonic fell energy, turning them green and increasing their bloodthirst, Orgrim Doomhammer refused, and so did Duratan. Duratan's clan suffered for his resistance, and with Drenor dying, Duratan felt he had little choice but to follow the Horde through the Dark Portal to Azeroth for the sake of the future of his family. As he continued to spread his message, speaking out against the usage of fell energy, he and his Frostwolves were eventually exiled from the Horde, commanded to journey far away. And with his wife pregnant with their first child, and the threat of their clan's extinction looming if he did not heed this command, Dorotan's hand was forced. They journeyed north where his wife would give birth, and to their horror they found their son's skin was also green, the blood of the orcs seemingly forever tainted from Gul'dan's demonic meddling, despite Duratan's refusal to even embrace it. Duratan sought a secret meeting with Orgrim to warn him of the results of Gul'dan's traitorous actions and their consequences for all the orcs as a race, and while Orgrim was receptive, the guards who oversaw the meeting were loyal to the Shadow Council and Gul'dan. They followed Duratan and his wife, and days into the journey assassinated both of them, leaving the poor infant child they carried with them to perish alone in the cold. Or so the assassins thought. A human noble hunting in the area came upon the corpses of the slaughtered orc family and found the young child somehow still alive. Out of curiosity, he brought this infant back, secretly raising him throughout the years as a gladiator. Not a happy child by any means, especially because the name he was given, Thrall, means slave. But this upbringing afforded him the advantage of learning the common tongue, and his training meant he was not only an excellent fighter, he also developed knowledge of strategy that would serve him well throughout the coming years. Thrall would eventually escape his master and find himself captured in an internment camp, where he learned about the orcs, Gul'dan, everything they'd left behind, and how the old ways many still revered may not yet be completely out of reach. Thrall set out to find this clan, curious about not only his own heritage, but also the heritage of the ones like him. This clan would be the Warsong clan, and their chieftain, Gromash Hellscream. The Warsong clan hadn't entered the portal originally with the other horde, instead they were manipulated to stay behind, before they were summoned forth when the dark portal was reopened. The clan was attacked and forced into hiding in Lordaeron, where Gromash, tainted with the fell blood of Manoroth, fought this curse for 15 years and looked to go back to his shamanistic roots. But the Warsong clan couldn't last forever in hostile Azeroth. Their plight worsened by news that the actions of those back home had all but destroyed Drenor, where Gromash's son, Garrosh, had been waiting for him. He knew the horde that was, was no more, but at least they had freed themselves from the fell curse. And that's when Thrall arrived. Gromash took him under his wing immediately, teaching him Orcish and helping him learn more of the Horde's ways. But the humans searching for Thrall were relentless, and Thrall knew he could not stay long without endangering those who were keeping hold of him. He had to find his heritage, so with Grom's blessing, Thrall journeyed further north and found the Frostwolf clan. His clan. And bear with me, I know it gets complicated, but these are all very important people to know about as we figure out the position of the new Horde. 
Over time, Thrall became a shaman in his clan, a destiny that prophesied him being one of the greatest shaman in Orcish history. He befriended the elemental spirits of earth, water, fire, air, and the wild, and fully dove into his new role as chieftain, as his bloodline promised. He was heralded as the first of a new generation of shaman, forgiven by the spirits for their association with demonic powers all those years ago. This newly revitalized thrall had a purpose, a family, a clan, and the hidden promise of something great for the orc's future. And that's when Orgrim Doomhammer arrived at the Frostwolf camp, embittered, downtrodden, and still a legend to all who once knew him. Except, of course, Thrall never knew him. They discussed together the fate of the orcs in Azeroth by the campfire. Orgrim accused Thrall's clan of ignoring the plight of the orcs in the internment camps, hiding away like cowards. And if there's one thing orcs can't stand, it's a challenge to their honour. Thrall and Orgrim squared up against each other, one young chieftain versus one giant hammer-wielding orc, and the fight was intense, but brief. Thrall, the younger, disarming Orgrim, but not going so far as to mortally wound him. And thus, Thrall had gained Orgrim's respect. Working together, Thrall and Orgrim would eventually infiltrate the orc internment camps, rallying people inside with Thrall's shaman power, and liberating every camp they could come across, freeing the orcs and rebuilding the horde. Their confidence grew, their ranks increased with every successful venture. But by the fifth camp, the alliance mounted more of a resistance, refusing to be taken by surprise. In the end, it was a mounted knight that ended the legend of Orgrim Doomhammer, impaled by a lance in the Arathi Highlands. In his dying breath, he passed down his title of Warchief of the Horde, his armor and his warhammer to Thrall. This was the beginning of the new Horde. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The crusade continued, with Thrall's Horde even rescuing the Warsong clan from internment camp from which they'd been captured. Before one night, Thrall experienced a strange dream imploring him that their horde's destiny lay across the seas on a continent known as Kalimdor. And who was Thrall to deny the horde their destiny? They set off across the great sea in stolen boats before a fierce storm scattered their fleet and Thrall's orcs found themselves beached with a tribe of trolls who needed help, but they were under siege from a nearby human outpost. Thrall's orcs helped the trolls defeat the humans, but not before the entire melee was absolutely swarmed by fiendish murlocs, and Thrall taken prisoner. The murlocs sacrificed the troll leader in front of Thrall's very eyes, and when they were freed, Thrall offered the rest of the Darkspear trolls a home with the Horde. And so, the orcs allied with the trolls. Ships were rebuilt, and finally the Horde made landfall on Kalimdor. The coast scoured for all of the clans that had gone missing during the storm, but the Warsong clan could not be found. Thrall befriended the local Tauren, creating another ally, and continued to search for Grom. 
who he found already in a savage battle against Jaina Proudmoore's alliance forces. When Thrall tried to use stealth tactics to solve the issues Jaina created, Grom grew impatient and laid out a savage assault upon her forces. Thrall was forced to follow Grom's lead, but afterwards the two butted heads over Thrall's apparently weak approach. For Hellscream argued that a true warrior would fight head on, not sneak around. In retaliation, Thrall sent Grom to the nearby Ashenvale Woods to collect wood and supplies to build a settlement, and Grom was forced to comply with his warchief's request. Thrall hadn't stopped thinking about the prophet that had sent them to Kalimdor, and his searching led him to a chamber, where stood none other than Jaina Proudmoore. Before they could rekindle the fight Grom had started, the prophet appeared before their eyes and told Thrall of Grom's corruption, as despite Grom's attempts to suppress the demonic fell blood curse that ran through his veins, it had not disappeared and the corruption was sure to eventually be the destruction of life on Azeroth. Jaina and Thrall reluctantly became allies for the greater good of Azeroth, and so Thrall could save his dear friend Grom. It's at this point the Alliance would first encounter the Scourge. If you cast your mind way back to Gul'dan's origination, you'll recall Ner'zhul, Elder Shaman of the Shadowmoon clan, who Gul'dan put aside on his quest for power. Nezul opened many of the portals that allowed the Orc clans through to Azeroth during the Second War, and was war chief of all the clans who stayed behind on Drenor, forming the Horde of Drenor. He'd become power-hungry, influenced by the corrupted skull of his former apprentice, until any remnants of his altruistic path were wiped out. He was captured by Kil'jaeden after destroying Drenor, and ripped into pieces by the Demon Lord. Nezul's spirit was bound to a helmet called the Helm of Domination, creating the Lich King. The Lich King's army of undead would lay waste to much of Azeroth, and eventually servants of the Scourge were able to summon the demonic entities of the Legion straight into the Eastern Kingdoms and over to Kalimdor. As these demonic forces descended upon Thrall's horde, the effect of the corrupted blood running through the veins of the Warsong tribe created a bloodlust like no other. Thrall was forced to battle the clan and his old friend, and once subdued a combination of elven magic from the Alliance side and shamanism from the Orcs, worked to purge the demonic energy from Grom, succeeding in freeing him and the other Orcs, but killing Grom in the final battle that followed. The Burning Legion were not yet defeated, however, and the Horde's ranks, comprising of Orcs, Trolls, Tauren, and Goblins, fought alongside the Alliance to save the planet as they knew it, setting aside their prejudices to see the bigger picture. And they succeeded during the epic battle of Mount Hydroal. When the dust had settled and a peace treaty between the Alliance and a Horde had been agreed, Thrall knew he had to find his loyal followers a place to call home on this savage planet. He found a patch of almost uninhabited land, and he christened it Duratar. Yep, he named it after his father. Upon Duratar, the construction of a capital city began, a grand city of orcish architecture that Thrall named Orgrimmar, after his predecessor Orgrim. This would be the basis of the horde we know today, where the war chief still resides, where a lot of drama has occurred. As the city took form, worrying reports began to emerge of humans on the shores of Duratar, hostile and searching for a battle. Thrall was confused. Surely Jaina would not seek to secretly betray the peace treaty in this way. 
And he would be right, for it turned out that the humans attacking the shores were led by Jaina's very own father, the kindling to attention that ultimately tore Jaina's family apart through her refusal to side directly against the orcs. Admiral Proudmoore would not listen to reason when Thrall tried to explain how the horde who had once invaded Azeroth and conquered much of the Eastern Kingdoms was not the same horde that stood before him now, but the Admiral in his rage was not interested in any explanation. The horde would never change, he argued, and he continued to assert this as he met his end at the hands of the Orcs. The horde called off the battle immediately, claiming no quarrel with the remaining humans or Jaina Proudmoore for the time being. A golden age for the Horde began, as Orgrimmar grew and the Horde settled into their new land, and this is where we pick up in World of Warcraft. Thrall, the warchief of the new Horde, interested in true peace with the Alliance, but constantly having to prove to them that they were not the demon-corrupted Horde of old. A very hard sell, all things considered. It was at this time that one Sylvanas Windrunner, Banshee Queen, and leader of the Forsaken would demand to join the Horde. And side note, she actually also asked to join the Alliance, and the Alliance's reply came in the form of missing, presumed dead emissaries. Sylvanas had, through her own miserable tragedies, managed to take hold of the ruins of Lordaeron in the Eastern Kingdoms, and Thrall could see the benefits of a partnership with her could allow. Though he was not entirely comfortable, this allowed the Horde to expand into the Eastern Kingdoms nicely. And eventually, news came of Draenei crash-landing in Azeroth and siding with the Alliance. The Draenei would likely not ever forgive the Orcs for hunting them into near extinction on their now-destroyed refuge planet of Draenor, and who could blame them? Meaning that ever-tenuous peace seemed to be slipping further and further away. But while Draenor was gone, a fraction of the world still remained, a shattered, broken piece of land where survivors eked out a living called Outland. Thrall journeyed to Outland and found the long-lost son of his old friend Grom, Garrosh Hellscream. Thrall brought Garrosh back to Orgrimmar, where he would sit at his right hand as advisor, but Garrosh had some pretty extreme opinions about the Alliance that mostly involved annihilating every single person where they stood. This led to some pretty spicy meetings between the leaders of the Alliance and the Horde, where trust issues ran rampant and Garrosh felt Thrall's unwillingness to just take what they needed by force was a show of weakness rather than strength. They would continue to butt heads, Garrosh simply wanted the Horde to rule all of Azeroth. Was that so bad? <laughs> Quick to anger and more than happy for any dispute to turn to bloodshed, Garrosh would inevitably end up a thorn in the side of Thrall, who had trained in Azerothian strategy and kept vying for peace. Thrall's story gets significantly more complex, but I won't confuse things too much here, but essentially he temporarily left the Horde on an important mission, naming Garrosh as acting warchief in his absence. You can imagine how that went down. Tensions within the Horde leadership rose to new levels, with Garrosh all but undoing the groundwork Thrall had laid in getting people to accept the new Horde's motives. His desperation for respect led him to act in such an abhorrent fashion that even his allies were questioning his judgement. He saw the island Jaina Proudmoore had successfully built up, Theramore, as a conquerable beacon that would afford the Horde all the respects they'd been lacking, not like the weak pacifist Thrall would have done. The Horde armies marched on Theramore, appearing to want to siege the land, and the Alliance heroes piled in to defend from this surprising and perplexing attack. Just before the point of no return, Garrosh recalled his armies, 
and unveiled his secret weapon, a mana bomb designed to nuke the city and leave no survivors. And that it did. Only a few Alliance heroes survived, including Jaina, due to their magical intervention, and Garrosh was ecstatic. He continued, planning not just to win battles, but to enact complete genocide. He heard of a brand new uncharted land known as Pandaria, and scrambled his fleets so the Horde could gain a foothold before the Alliance gained too much ground. Garrosh sought to have his rivals within the Horde leadership removed, via death, and it was at this point Thrall would return, horrified by what had become of his peaceful vision of the Horde. Luckily, enough of the Horde's armies agreed with Thrall to defect in considerable numbers, because Garrosh is seeking terrible power, and he's just figured out where to get it. It's also worth mentioning here that for many differing reasons, Garrosh's intentions turned towards the genocidal nature, as he sought to purge the Horde of anything but the pure orcs. Garrosh heard of the existence of a bell, a divine bell, that could, quotedly, shake the world and call out to the heavens, and when taken to war, could stir the hearts of the warriors, fueling their hatred and anger, lending them strength. It would give fear and doubt to the enemies, and was wielded by the Thunder King. The monks of Pandaria created a contemporary to match this bell, the Harmonic Mallet, and stole the bell so they could combine the power of the two to create total harmony. The Night Elves of Darnassus took the bell to study and guard it, but Garrosh's horde managed to steal it. Garrosh spoke of the Horde's grand destiny, how the Orcs, which had become weak and complacent under the rule of Thrall, would be stronger with the Divine Bell, and he rings it. The Bell infests Garrosh's most elite fighting force with the Shah, aka physical manifestations of negative emotions that were plaguing Pandaria. Here, the young Alliance Prince Anduin Rin, who was shipwrecked on Pandaria, would intervene, utilising the Harmonic Mallet to create harmony once more, but the conflict caused Anduin's bones to shatter, and he was believed to be dead. He wasn't, but he was believed to be, and we as the champions are left alive to bear the burden of bringing this news to his father, King Varian. This pleases Garrosh immensely because he loves taking pleasure in other people's pain, but with every action, he acquired more enemies, some his own ranks turning against him, working together to oust him from power once and for all, while Garrosh prepared for an invasion, unearthing any powerful old Pandaren relics he could find. During one of these excavation trips, the goblins that had allied with the Horde hit figurative gold, sealed away Deep in the Veil of Eternal Blossoms was the heart of a truly evil, insanely powerful, but now dead presence. The old god Yasharaj, defeated long ago with its heart buried, undetected for centuries. Garrosh hurled this heart into the pools of the Veil of Eternal Blossoms, unleashing a surge of Shah energy, corrupting the Veil, and he took the heart with him, left for his underground fortress in Orgrimmar. Garrosh was unstoppably power-hungry and evil, but he was not corrupted, it's worth mentioning. He acted entirely of his own will. It's here the Alliance and Renegade Horde, led by one Verox Saofang, mounted their attack to confront Garrosh, and after fighting their way through the city and into the stronghold of the Orc capital Orgrimmar, 
they find Thrall already arguing with Garrosh, asking him to end this pointless fighting and genocide that was tearing the Horde apart from within. Once again, Garrosh contests that Thrall is weak and pathetic, both in mindset and physicality, with Garrosh easily besting the more pacifistic Thrall in a duel. He turns to us and fights us with this true Horde that he's refined, but we do succeed despite his best efforts to murder us. Thrall looks over the defeated Garrosh, wielding Doomhammer, and attempts to deliver the death sentence he orders, before he's interrupted by Alliance King Varian Rin, and they agree begrudgingly to make him stand trial for his many war crimes instead of being murdered on the spot. Things get a little bit weird again here, as Garrosh defiantly stands on the last day of his trial, shouting that he regrets nothing and would do it all again, and he's whisked away into a portal by a mysterious character into the past. 35 years into the past on an alternate Drenor. Yeah, <laughs> the result of this time-travelling craziness is Garrosh setting off a chain of events that would lead the Burning Legion right back into Azeroth in their biggest invasion yet, and would lead to their ultimate defeat, but not without huge sacrifice. This is also where alternate reality Gul'dan comes back into play and things get a little bit messy, but I'm going to try and skim most of that expansion for now. The end of this alternate universe meddling is that in our current universe, the demon armies of the Burning Legion, led by Titan Sargeras and his minions, are let loose upon Azeroth once again. Our heroes of Azeroth, aka us, <laughs> storm their seat of power, the Burning Throne, and free the spirits of the other titans that Sargeras had long ago defeated. The freed titan souls use the last of their energy to pull Sargeras away from Azeroth, but not before he slams his gigantic sword into Kalimdor, where it is still present to this day, wounding Azeroth's world soul. All in all, a bit of chaos. <laughs> we thought the Age of Chaos had ended quite a while back. Amidst this, both Garrosh and alternate universe Gul'dan are slain. So, to summarise at this point in time, the Horde that first invaded Azeroth are not the Horde of today. The original Orcish invaders were tainted by demons, bloodthirsty and savage, and many died in the First and Second War. Thrall took the survivors and found a way to cleanse the fell energy from the remaining Orcs. He built a city on the continent of Kalimdor and sought to make a new life for his transplanted clans, trying to inspire peace while convincing them they were not the same Horde they once were. In the meantime, unrest gathered within the ranks of the Horde from Garrosh Hellscream, Thrall's right hand, who believed in the true Horde and valued aggression and direct action over politics and pacifism. This led to a raid battle in the Horde's capital where we take Garrosh down and reinstill an uneasy truce. The Horde are still the Alliance's counterpart and they've still been forced to work together against greater foes, but the power struggles within the Horde see no signs of stopping. After the trial of Garrosh, a new leader of the Horde was named, a bitter enemy of Garrosh who hated his extremism. Vol'jin, a jungle troll, was endorsed by Thrall and became the first non-orc to head up the Horde. During all of the civil war that happened on Mists of Pandaria, Vol'jin was the one to keep the values of Thrall's Horde alive. He would go on to lead the Horde in their assault against the Burning Legion, alongside Sylvanas Windrunner, in the iconic battle for Broken Shore. Here, with the Alliance and Horde cooperating to push back the Legion, stakes were higher than ever before. The battle was brutal and required a high amount of coordination between the factions, and Sylvanas tells the Alliance's King Varian to press the attack on Gul'dan while the Horde cover their flank. And to be fair, that was her exact intention. 
Unbeknownst to her and her forces, another dark portal had opened up behind her army, and the demon reinforcements swallowed the horde, forcing them to retreat from their position, leaving the alliance incredibly vulnerable. This act would lead to the death of King Varian as he sacrifices his life to save his warship from certain destruction. And of course, the Alliance blamed the Horde. The Horde had their own problems, however, as poor Vol'jin's time as Warchief came to a swift end via a poisoned spear, and in his dying moments, a vision placed by a mysterious force encourages him to make Sylvanas the new Warchief of the Horde. And so, the next Warchief was decided. I don't want to go into too much detail on Sylvanas in this episode, but the basics of her backstory are these. Sylvanas began life as a high elf in the Eastern Kingdoms, and when the undead armies of the Scourge bore down upon her people, she fought valiantly against them and their leader, the Lich King. She was cut down, but rather than killing her outright, the Lich King turned her into a banshee. She served him as a pawn until his grasp on his undead minions was weakened and she managed to break free, taking her own army of defectors with her, known as the Forsaken. The Forsaken joined the Horde as Sylvanas looked to gain power and grow her own empire, and of her own volition accidentally set off a plague that was intended just for the Lich King, but ended up affecting undead, Horde, and Alliance alike. That annoyed the Alliance and the Horde quite a bit. She had a lust for vengeance over the Lich King's act that had forced her to become a monstrous banshee, stealing her future, and she made a pact with ones known as the Valkyr. She bound herself to the life forces of the Valkyr, freeing them from their slavery to the Frozen Throne, and regaining her place in the realm of the living once more. However, this intertwined their fates, meaning that if the Valkyr perish, Sylvanas will too, and her soul will be lost to an endless, torturous abyss for all eternity. Which doesn't sound all that pleasant. She and her Forsaken and the Valkyr she is now intrinsically tied to work as part of the Horde, and she is a cold, brutal lady, hardened by years of injustice, slavery, and savagery. With only eight Valkyr remaining, she must be cautious, and she is very, very aware of her own mortality. So, as any badly adjusted, mistreated character does, she craves the security of immortality and seeks this end in desperation. The title of Warchief was not one Sylvanas wore comfortably. The Horde grew antsy with the amount of disproportionate attention she gave to her own forsaken armies, with the other races feeling left out. She also had family issues involving her two living sisters that gave her a real disdain for reconciling with the living, thoughts not necessarily shared even within her own Forsaken. When a small contingent of the Forsaken looked to become defectors, Sylvanas slaughtered them mercilessly, citing their weak sympathies with the living to be an obstacle to their faith. Cracks began to show. She was convinced the Alliance had filled Orgrimmar with spies, and she asked Verox Salfang to create a hypothetical battle plan for a sack of Stormwind City. Verox reported back that such an attack would ultimately fail, and questioned Sylvanas' warmongering ways, but she felt war was inevitable after everything that had transpired between the two factions, so the Horde had no choice but to dominate the Alliance in battle and create peace on their own terms, and the recent siege of Orgrimmar had shown that the Horde's defences were weak, it was here they figured out that the Alliance navies were not particularly strong at all, meaning the Horde would have an easy time of taking over footholds in Kalimdor, where the Alliance would be slow to respond, because it's pretty hard to get across the seas when all your boats are wrecked. 
The advantage of taking Kalimdor and the island of Darnassus in particular is one of politics. The Alliance would be forced to either defend their night elf allies and destroy their city in the process, ruining not only the night elves living, but also the Gilnean refugees they were sheltering, or they could not take any action at all, which obviously would look pretty bad too. The Horde would also need to win this fight honourably for political brownie points, but the Horde will not trust Sylvanas to do that herself, so she's forced to use Verok as a proxy. And there was also the added complication of a power struggle happening over the crystallised Azerite that was appearing all over Azeroth after Sargeras had plunged his sword onto the planet and wounded the World Soul. This Azerite was potent, a great source of power for weapons and armour alike, and both factions wanted to get their hands on it. When the Alliance moved to defend their Azerite via an army of Night Elves, Darnassus was protected by only a skeleton crew, and Sylvanas knew that murdering their leader, Malfurion Stormrage, would break their spirits. While hunting for Malfurion, she realised that the honour that bound the Horde together would end up turning them all against her unless they let such notions go, and stood alongside her, regardless of the moral grey or red zone her actions put them in. Malfurion was proof of this in her eyes, as he refused to let his hatred overrule him and weakened the Donassian defence because he wouldn't give in to the rage that would give him power. When their horde pressed their attack on Donassus, the battle came to a head, with Sylvanas facing Malfurion directly. They duelled, and Verok threw his axe, wounding Malfurion in an act of dishonourable battle that Sylvanas happily encouraged. Malfurion would be saved by intervention from another leader of Donassus, and Sylvanas was furious that Verok had not finished him off when he had the chance. Another crack appeared. The next Horde invasion centred around Teldrassil, a tree that housed the capital city of Darnassus with significant meaning to the Night Elves. The tree was nurtured in an unsuccessful attempt to restore immortality to the now-mortal Night Elves after their previous world tree was destroyed in the battles of old, and it was home, a symbol of hope. Only innocence remained in the city after the Horde's attacks nearby, a fact Sylvanas was very aware of. Life was the enemy to her. She was driven by hate and rage and hope, and she gave the order. Catapults activated. Giant, flaming ammo flung at Heldrassil, and the symbolic tree, home, burned. Verok was fuming, for this was another act of great dishonour that he could not forgive, a dishonour that would damn the Horde for as long as there was a future, and this act of devastation was to make up for Verok's failure to kill Malfurion when he had the chance. They needed to drive that wedge to break up the Alliance, and Sylvanas simply did not care what it took. It's important to note once again that Sylvanas was not originally a part of the Horde. She was a high elf from the Eastern Kingdoms whose miserable misfortune shaped her worldview and changed her perspective. She fought and she hated, but seemingly not for only personal gain or power, but because she believed in a future where the Horde would be strong and would create their own measure of peace by first conquering the entirety of Azeroth. The Horde, thanks to Sylvanas' Forsaken, still held the ruins of Lordaeron in the Eastern Kingdoms, and in retaliation for the attack on Teldrassil, this would be where the Alliance would mount their counterattack to the Horde's attempt at domination. The Alliance stormed the Keep of Lordaeron and battled the Horde's defences with siege engines and towers. Victory was a sure bet. Sylvanas took matters into her own hands, destroying a siege tower single-handedly with her Banshee Queen power, rallying the Horde with a fearsome war cry. 
King Anduin continued the push undeterred, but the tides had turned and their forces were overwhelmed, and he's almost felled by Varrock himself before the orc hesitated and spared his life. Anduin was technically a priest, and he used some of his mastery over healing to conjure a huge dome over the battlefield in desperation, healing his allies and issuing a heartfelt war cry of his own, renewing their army's energy to fight. And as the alliance pressed on, Sylvanas unleashed a devastating attack, one of her set pieces, the Forsaken Blight upon the battlefield. The Blight was essentially a plague induced by a mist over the battlefield that Sometimes, rather than just killing the foes, turns them into a husk, incapable of thinking, just filled with a hatred for life. The Blight does not discriminate. The Blight affects both Horde and Alliance alike, and when everyone was affected, Sylvanas raised the Fallen as undead to fight for her once more, regardless of faction. Some escaped the slow-moving mist, aided by Jaina Proudmoore, and regrouped, with reinforcements arriving via teleport, and they managed to fight their way through the keep to confront Sylvanas directly in the throne room. Sylvanas, quite honestly, did not give a rat's ass, refusing to surrender and eventually detonating more blight explosions inside the throne room before flying out dramatically. Jaina Proudmoore once again saved the Alliance by teleporting the remaining Alliance leaders out of harm's way, and Lordaeron was once again rendered uninhabitable. As a side note, this is one of the most recent cinematics available to watch, and it serves as the Battle for Azeroth trailer. It's well worth a watch. The use of the Blight in battle was just yet another dishonourable action that angered Verok and much of the Horde, and set them on edge. Were the wants of Sylvanas really the wants of the Horde? Was this really the right way to inspire eventual peace? Verok knew there was no honour or glory in this new war, he decided that with the current war chief, he could never fight under the Horde. After the battle, Varok had been captured and held in Stormwind, where Anduin Rin personally visited, curious as to why the Orc hadn't just killed him when he'd had the chance, to which Varok admitted was because he thought Anduin could stop Sylvanas. Anduin responded that he couldn't, alone, and departed from Varok's cell, leaving the cell door open. After the fight against the Legion had concluded earlier in the timeline, Thrall essentially took on an early retirement with his family, living amongst beauty and free from the chaos of Horde life. It was here Varrock found him and they discussed the state of the Horde under Sylvanas' control. Thrall was adamant he had left that life behind, but one assassination attempt later took up his axe once more, accompanying Varrock on his journey. They would meet up with King Anduin Rin once more, where Anduin probed Varrock about his place within the Horde. Varrock remarked that this Horde was forever tainted by the corruption that birthed their invasion, that their fight for honour was a lie that the Horde could not see, that the Horde and Alliance would never be at peace after everything. But together they knew there was one thing they could agree on, fighting for Azeroth, and to protect Azeroth meant to destroy Sylvanas once and for all. While their forces amassed ready to assault Orgrimmar, Verok was torn, not wanting his brothers and sisters of the Horde to die for this, but knowing something had to be done. So he challenged Sylvanas to a duel, and Makgora, a fight to the death. Sylvanas had the upper hand in this fight, and she knew it. She taunted him mercilessly, taking pleasure from the physical and emotional pain she inflicted. And Verok retorted with how there was always hope, and she had failed to kill hope at Teldrassil. 
Varrock pushed harder, gaining the upper hand, shouting that the Horde was strong, the Horde would endure, and he landed a blow on the Warchief, slashing her eye. Sylvanas was incandescent with rage, for the blow to her face showed the Horde she wasn't untouchable, and in her absolute anger, she screamed that Varrock was nothing, that the Horde were all nothing, before blasting Varrock with magic yet unknown, and fled the fight, and the Horde, entirely. The strange magic Sylvanas used to murder Varrock is yet to be explained. Varrock had earned the warrior's death he craved, and the Horde appointed a council to lead in the place of a warchief. Sylvanas would strike out on her own, taking some of her forsaken loyalists with her, and her whereabouts have remained somewhat of a mystery. We know she has struck a deal with Queen Azara, and that she is also taking up a new master. The dark obsession with the realm of death is seeming to be her driving force. And in the most recent cinematic for the upcoming expansion, we see Sylvanas storm Icecrown Citadel, single-handedly defeating the Lich King in combat and destroying the helmet that allowed the Lich King to control the chaotic forces of the Scourge, and also tearing the thin veil that separates Azeroth from the mysterious Shadowlands, nightmarish realms of decay filled with dead souls on the edge of reality. And when you die in-game, before you retrieve your body and resurrect yourself, you're actually in the Shadowlands. And this will be the focus for the next expansion. The Horde, meanwhile, battle alongside the Alliance against the threat of Nazoth, an old god who seeks to corrupt Azeroth, and they've abolished the much-abused position of Warchief. We are now supposedly in a time of peace. So that is most of the large events that have populated the Horde's history as we know it. As it stands currently, the Horde comprises of Orcs, Jungle Trolls, Tauren, Forsaken, aka Undead, Blood Elves, Goblins, and Pandaren, and with a few allied races joining the mix, like the Nightborn, the High Mountain Tauren, the Makar Orcs, Zandalari Trolls, and Volpera. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Once again, if you've enjoyed, please feel free to let me know via Twitter or Instagram at Leoviathan. It does take me a long time to research and write these podcasts, so it's good to hear when you found them useful. And I'm sorry if I missed anything important out or mispronounced any names. It does get a little bit confusing sometimes. So <laughs> thank you again. Until next time, explorers. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.